Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Bon après-midi, tout le monde. Bienvenue, Monsieur le Ministre, Toronto. You know, friends, they say that the proof of a pudding is in the eating. And in the case of Minister Baird, the proof is actually in the doing. You need a minister to shepherd the first piece of government legislation through the House after an election. Just get John Baird to ensure the passage of the massive federal Accountability Act. Need a minister to establish an environmental record and control the agenda? Appoint John Baird, Minister of the Environment. Need a minister to get stimulus dollars out the door of government and into the shovel-ready projects in deserving communities? Ask John Baird to manage the infrastructure stimulus program while at the same time being the Minister of Transport. Need to ensure that your parliamentary agenda is advanced through the shoals of a minority parliament. Worry not, John Baird will take one for the team and become your House leader. And when you need a partner to help reestablish Canada's role on the world stage, someone who shares with you a determination that the time has come for us to behave like a nation, to stand for what we believe and to carry that message to the world, you choose John Baird as your Minister of Foreign Affairs. Ce n'est pas en tant que John Baird est l'un des confidents plus fidèles de le Premier ministre Harper. Not one to shy from controversy, John has earned some praise from somewhat unlikely corners. NDP MP Megan Leslie and Liberal MP Justin Trudeau have both singled the minister out for his willingness to work with opposition members. Dan Ross, a Liberal and member of the National Wild Turkey Federation, says, I always vote Liberal, but Baird is a hard worker. He got me to go the other way. And the Globe and Mail opined, Baird has it right. De l'avenir seulement une chose est certaine. Nous ne savons pas ce qui se trouvera sur le chemin. Of the future, one thing is certain. We don't know what lies on the road ahead. And so, if we choose as our leaders, women and men who are genuinely connected to the people they serve and their lives and committed to making those lives better, committed to building broad, inclusive communities and a stronger Canada, if we choose leaders with courage and smarts and determination and humanity, then we will be ready to face whatever lies on the road ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, Canada is well prepared for that road. Monsieur le ministre, vous avez la parole. Ladies and gentlemen, Minister, the Canadian Club podium is yours. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jamie, for that. I particularly like the uh, part uh, about uh, nonpartisanship, uh, being able to uh, act in a nonpartisan way at all times and always uh, work in a nonpartisan, non-confrontational way has always been the hallmark of my uh, strategy to get along with people. Uh, and no, there are no other group of people that I can work as well with uh, than uh, liberal wild turkeys. Um, one of the greatest part of my job is to represent Canada abroad, is to represent Canadian values, Canadian interests, 
And uh, as Barbara McDougall, uh, one of my uh, esteemed predecessors, will tell you, you do have the opportunity to meet some really incredible people from every kind of background imaginable uh, and from every corner of the world. I was recently in the, at the Commonwealth Summit in Australia, and we uh, discussed a lot of human rights issues, a lot of issues important to the future uh, of the Commonwealth. And the subject of polygamy comes up. Well, I thought this was kind of interesting. And I'm sitting there, a small talk with the, uh, an African foreign minister who's seated uh, uh, to my right. And just to break the uh, difficult conversation, I said, well, do you have polygamy in your country? <laughs> and he said, absolutely we do, but only for hereditary chiefs. And I am a, an hereditary chief. <laughs> I said, really? And so I was, before I could ask him, my father had eight wives, he said very proudly. I said, wow, and yourself? One. And before I could say, well, what's up with that? He said, if I had more than that, my wife would kill me. <laughs> and you have to keep the peace at home. And so you can see there is more that brings us together uh, in the world today than uh, separates us. I'm very pleased to be back here in Toronto, uh, particularly for uh, this morning, uh, after an exciting night last night. The Ottawa Senators beat the Leafs again last night. So I was very excited about that. We're looking forward to hosting the All-Star Game in Ottawa uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, there will be four Ottawa Senators, and we'll make sure those four Ottawa Senators playing in the All-Star Game welcome the one member of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, uh, who made it. But uh, seriously, it's great to be back in Toronto. Uh, visiting Toronto, I get to see some good friends and relive some memories from uh, 10 years that I spent at Queen's Park. Uh, a very, uh, it's not so much a funny story, but a quick story. Uh, when I entered provincial politics in the mid-1990s, uh, the economy here in Toronto uh, was not great. In fact, it was very, very bad. In fact, when I first reported for duty at the Ontario Legislature, there was not a single construction train anywhere in downtown Toronto. The market was absolutely dead. Nothing was being built. What a turnaround there has been. Just last week, Toronto ranked as the number one city in all of North America for high-rise skyscraper construction. These cranes we see today will soon give rise to many more glittering towers of steel and glass, making Toronto's already impressive skyline even more dynamic and even more compelling than it is today. It's great to see, because this type of construction activity is the foundation for more than just a hot real estate market. It's about jobs, it's about hope, and it's about opportunity. From one bit of history to another, one much further back. This year, 2012, marks the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812. This is one of the few wars that's been ever fought on Canadian soil. It pitted the United States against what is now Canada. It included what you might call the original Occupy Toronto movement, way back in April of, <laughs> way back in April of 1813. American soldiers stormed what was then York and stayed until our troops pushed them back a couple of weeks later. The deadly strife of that bloody two-year conflict is all the more unimaginable given the current and very warm state of Canada's bilateral relations with the United States. Nowhere, nowhere in the world today, or in our history for that matter, is there a more successful partnership between two friendly neighbours. Ours is a shining example to the world. In fact, we, if we could replicate the Canada-US relationship elsewhere and repeatedly, the world would be a much, much better place. Last month in Washington marked the start of the next chapter, the next chapter in that important relationship. 
Prime Minister Harper and President Obama announced ambitious agreements to increase and improve legitimate trade and travel while keeping our two people safe and keeping our perimeter more secure. These agreements create a new modern border for a new century, a thinning of the border to create opportunity, prosperity, and jobs. By making trade and travel easier and breaking down regulatory barriers without compromising security. Des milliards de dollars en marchandises et des centaines de meilleurs de personnes traversent notre frontière commune tous les jours. In the 90 or so minutes that we will be gathered here in this room as a group, $180 million in goods and services will be exchanged between our two countries. $1.2 million every minute of every day. That's $1.8 billion every single day. It's a mind-blowing statistic, and in real terms, it's why one in seven jobs here in Canada depends on trade with the United States. As good as things are, as good as things are between our two countries, things at the border are not perfect. In fact, they're far from perfect. We all know someone who has a story, a family that has waited for hours in a border lineup just as they're starting their vacation because the pileup of post-9-11 security measures. A would-be entrepreneur who gets so bogged down in red tape and regulation that they give up expanding their business into the United States. Even large importer-exporters who've had shipments delayed for days by multiple security screening requirements and a whole bunch of paperwork. There are far, far too many stories like these. Often, there is a result of decisions on one side of the border, or in fact both, that were unintended to make things better or to make things safer. But they have instead resulted in a thicker border, slowing trade, slowing economic growth, and killing jobs. In fact, a thickened border costs the Canadian economy about $16 billion a year. Now, in an economy that's almost $1.4 trillion, that's a heavy price to pay for bureaucracy, for red tape, and for overregulation. Last month's agreement will reduce that cost and poses an incredible opportunity for Toronto, for Ontario, and for Canada as a whole. It will help make our economy more competitive. And on the security side, the key that locks the door against terrorists also opens a wider gate to cross-border trade and travel. Everyday Canadians and everyday Americans will benefit. Heading to the U.S. Heading to the US out of Pearson, we're talking about a beefed-up nexus program providing additional benefits, including expedited security screening. We'll also be looking at eliminating duplicate baggage screening so that your bags won't have to be rescreened at a U.S. transit point before being located, loaded onto your onward flight. This will reduce connecting times and costs. Regular business travelers, like many of you here in this room today, have told me that they love this proposal. Taking a road trip to the United States, we have a new border wait time tracker to help you decide where to cross and when. We're also implementing a new entry exit system. For everyday folks, for legitimate travelers, these measures provide no worries. You won't likely see any changes from what you experience today. But this system will help us keep track of people who overstay visas and catch people trying to evade eviction rules. This will be a no-fuss way to make our country more secure and our generous, generous immigration system even more efficient. And most people won't notice any disruption at all. Industry benefits too. Take the auto industry. Some car parts cross the border some six, seven, or even eight times before a finished product rolls off a dealership lot. 
Even slight delays at any of these crossings can be incredibly costly to this important sector of the Ontario economy. We've got a number of things in the works to make this kind of cross-border business easier, and that can only mean good things for plant workers, whether they be in Oshawa, Oakville, Brampton, to name just a few. There will be fewer duplicative tests, for instance, so prototypes will be cheaper, supply chains will be more efficient and integrated, and the industry as a whole will be more competitive. In other industries, regulatory changes will reduce unnecessary duplication and cut red tape in areas, and this is key, where it makes sense to do so. Here's an example. I saw an interview with my good friend David Jacobson, who's the U.S. Ambassador to Canada. He was on CTV recently. He was telling a story about how much every day he likes to eat Cheerios for breakfast. He eats Cheerios every morning, but the Cheerios he buys in the United States, though, go through a different manufacturing process from those produced in Canada. The fortifying process is somewhat different. Not better, not worse, just different. And that increases the cost for the consumer for absolutely no good reason. We will align standards where it makes sense without compromising the health and safety of Canadians. And you take that one example and multiply it by a million, you can see the huge costs to the Canadian economy. So for the makers of health and beauty products and car seats, to use just a couple of examples, there'll be less tape and less regulation and less duplication. This will mean big things for companies right across the greater Toronto area. Bay Street, Main Street, job creators, big and small, will all benefit from these initiatives. So will Canadians and Americans. And as Prime Minister Stephen Harper has recently said, Canada has absolutely, Canada has absolutely no friends among America's enemies. What threatens the security and well-being of the United States threatens the security and well-being of Canadians. That's why we're taking practical steps to thin the border without compromising security. Smarter systems, smarter systems will reduce the inconvenience of multiple freight and baggage inspections, for example. Goods will be screened once, not twice. This, that makes economic sense, and it makes security sense, too. Some commentators have said that this border action plan would compromise our sovereignty, and I can tell you it is absolutely false. Neither country is in that business. Ambassador Jacobson said it well when he said, American value, Americans value individual liberties just as much as Canadians do. Other commentators have questioned the current state of Canada-U.S. relations. Are there issues between us that still remain to be resolved on the trade front? Absolutely. This speech would not be complete without mentioning that our government wants to see the approval of the Keystone XL pipeline. There are thousands of good-paying jobs on both sides of the border that depend on the approval of that pipeline. And a process which normally takes 12 to 15 months has now carried on for almost three years. It's time for this project to move forward for the good of both of our two nations. But friends, but friends, while Keystone XL is important, it's not the only issue that exists between Canada and the United States. To those who doubt our sincerity or ability to get things done, I say the Beyond the Border agreements are proof that our government is working very constructively with the uh, administration of President Barack Obama on advancing our common goals and our respective interests with a focus that is absolutely clear. 
I honestly believe that these two agreements that were signed last month constitute the most important step forward in cooperation between our two countries since the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed a number of years ago. Ensemble, ces accords représentent le plus important pas en avant dans la coopération entre le Canada et les États-Unis depuis l'accord de libre-échange nord-américain. Together, they form a practical roadmap aimed at getting real results with concrete timelines to improve border efficiency and security. It's all about jobs, competitiveness, economic growth. In the coming weeks and months, we'll be working with our American friends to thin the border, to put in place real improvements, and to take the necessary steps to protect jobs, to grow our economy, and to keep citizens on both sides of our borders safe. And with that, I'd be very pleased to take any questions. Thank you very much. So who has the, uh, who would like to ask the first question? We've got uh, microphones, so you're just going to give us a moment to get the mic to your table so everybody can hear, but who would like to have the first uh, question? I wish this happened during question period. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. You're not, not so fast. Just before, well, well, someone's thinking of a question. Let me ask you one off the top, which is, uh, after becoming the Minister of Foreign Affairs, what was the biggest surprise that uh, confronted you in your new portfolio? I'll say this, and I'll look to Barbara McDougall, and she'll, she'll know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, the absolute necessity and priority and importance of establishing personal relationships uh, with people around the world uh, in, order to achieve, uh, uh, in order to achieve results in fighting for Canadian values or Canadian interests, that's uh, by far the, uh, uh, the biggest surprise. Also about uh, polygamy in one country in Africa. <laughs> a question down here. Um, hi, I just wanted to, to know if you think that Canada and the USA should move towards a Schengen-like agreement with an erasure of the borders and a complete freedom of movement between people, goods, and services. I think we're looking forward to, is, uh, to the free movement of goods and services, the free movement uh, of people, uh, but obviously uh, both Canada and the United States, for our own reasons, uh, value our own uh, sovereignty, and uh, that's why we're committed uh, to eliminating uh, the $16 billion uh, weight that's on the back of uh, the Canadian uh, economy. Uh, so we're going to put all of our efforts and energy into that. We don't have any plans uh, uh, on that. But uh, one of the things we've got to do is ensure uh, that, uh, that it is, it is uh, effective as possible uh, in order to facilitate legitimate trade and travel. Uh, obviously, we have uh, very different uh, legal regimes on both sides of the border, so we're going to put all of our focus uh, uh, on getting rid of that $16 billion uh, uh, backpack on our uh, backs. Anybody else? Where's Don Johnson when you need him? <laughs> Your question right here, Florence. Uh, Minister, there, there's some um, rumblings that Obama will actually cancel as opposed to having delayed the Keystone Agreement. Do you think that there's any chance that, well, that listen, this is going to... We want to see uh, the, the pipeline built. Um, uh, we understand the, uh, the challenges that uh, people have in government everywhere in the world. Uh, we're a strong believer uh, that the pipeline will be good for uh, the economies of both countries, good for uh, economic security. Um, now, um, this would never happen in Canada. Sometimes there can be some um, uh, mischief makers in the legislative uh, bodies that um, add things to bills. We don't do that in Canada, of course. Uh, but uh, listen, we're committed to working with uh, the Obama administration uh, to see this project go forward. We'd like to see it go forward. Uh, you know, in the next uh, few months. Uh, having said that, if we have to work hard, 
uh, for the next uh, 13 months, uh, we, will, uh, we will do that. Uh, we think it's an important project with, uh, with obvious benefits to both sides of, uh, uh, of, the, uh, both sides of the border. Uh, and, uh, you know, if at first we don't succeed, we'll uh, try again, uh, which we're doing. Last chance. Anybody have one last question for the minister? Right with that, uh, Paul Bonavero. Thank you, Minister, uh, for taking the time to be with us uh, here today. Um, your service in government, both previously uh, here at Queen's Park and now in Ottawa, is greatly appreciated. I first met the Minister um, when he was a young Nepean MPP um, and parliamentary assistant uh, to, the, uh, to my boss at the time, the Labour Minister Elizabeth Whitmer. I think you were probably 16 at the time as the MPP. Um, uh, good to know, though, that you continue to use uh, our slogan of jobs, hope, and opportunity, which I think was created back in 1995, so we are committed. Um, as Minister of Foreign Affairs, um, your responsibilities now lie mainly um, beyond our, border, our borders, um, dealing uh, with the situation in Libya and the continuing turmoil uh, in the Middle East and Syria and, and uh, Iran, and we appreciate that. But we also appreciate, Minister, your efforts uh, in dealing with matters closer to home, uh, in, in particular our border uh, and trade relationships uh, with the United States. And as your process moves forward uh, and our borders thins, uh, as you say, our economy, which is so dependent on trade, um, will no doubt um, benefit from all your hard work and commitment. So on behalf of everyone here today, Minister, and all Canadians, uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you for being here with us today and for your efforts uh, here and abroad. About to give that speech all over again. <laughs> um, there we go. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Minister, and thank you also, Paul, for uh, for your words of thanks on behalf of us all. Uh, just before we adjourn for lunch, I'd like to make a couple announcements, if I could, of our upcoming events. On the 24th of January, Premier Dalton McGuinty will present a plan for Ontario families and making Ontario the place where the best educated workers make cutting-edge products and services. We invite you to join us for that lunch. On February 3rd, we kickstart our CEO series and we'll hear from Reed Hastings, co-founder and CEO of Netflix. To order tickets for these or any Canadian Club event, you can visit our website at canadianclub.org. Don't forget that there'll be a podcast of today's event available in a couple of days on iTunes. Simply, event, simply visit the event listing uh, part of our website to download it. And when you're online, I would encourage you to check out our Twitter feed. You can follow us at CDNCLUBTO for all of our latest updates. This concludes our Rogers television programming which will be broadcast on Rogers in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to Rogers and 680 News for their continuing promotion of our events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would ask that you rise as you're able and join me in a toast to Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, to Canada. Thank you. Please enjoy your lunch. <laughs>